Hello and welcome to Cartel Aristocrats cast number 63. I'm joined this week as always with Ed Wynn of Winning Productions, Jim Caselli of Beardbomb.com, and Travis Allen of TheSaltySpatoon.com. This week we're also joined by a special guest, Corbin Hostler. Um, we actually just posted his entire resume on this YouTube live chat, which you can follow along and ask questions with. Ooh, I have to go check this out now then. Yeah, we actually tweeted this out. Uh, Corbin has written for TCGplayer.com, MTGPrice.com, QuietSpeculation.com. He's done content as far as Brainstorm Brewery. Uh, he's written a lot of MTG Finance articles, and he is not the permanent guest on Brainstorm Brewery. Uh, <laughs> he works for one of the biggest card shops in Oklahoma, and he basically knows what he's talking about when it comes to everything but merfolk. Now, the reason why we're having Corbin on, besides his impressive resume... You forgot the most important line in his resume, by the way. What is that? Uh, Buffalo Wild Wings aficionado? I mean, that is an honor, an uh, uh, honorific, but not what I was going to say. I was going to say uh, Watsy Shell on Twitter, right? That's what oh, Watsy Shell. Uh, yeah, yeah. I believe that is at the Mana Source on Twitter, Travis. Um, but Corbin <laughs> wow. had a very good. Uh, Corbin had a very good argument about what's going on with the promo situation that uh, we are currently finding ourselves embroiled with. Um, Corbin, do you want to sort of explain what's going on with uh, Wizards announcement? Why they made it on a Sunday? Yeah. And how you feel about exactly what's going to happen? Sure. With this. So, so in a nutshell, they are reimagining to an extent in-store play. Um, before they sort of view, they have, you know, they have like my store, for instance, we have a learn-to-play stuff, and that's how we get people, and we have a novice league, and that's just stuff we do to get people in to play Magic. Um, what Wizards has a problem with is those people taking that jump from from playing, learning to play magic or playing at their kitchen table to actually becoming involved in in-store play, which means FNM. Because FNM then leads to PPTQs, which they have in the store, um, you know, RPTQs and GPs when they come by, the Pro Tours, sort of that's the progression uh, that they want you to go on. But the biggest hurdle is getting people out of their house or out of you know their, their casual play to play in a tournament like FNM. And the big problem they have is that FNM is very competitive because that's, you know, it's all the people who are playing the PBTQs and all that stuff, they play FNM. And so it's very, it scares off a lot of people and it intimidates them. So what they're trying to do is create a way to separate those two audiences. The, the average FNM player may go to a Grand Prix if they're nearby from the just learned to play Magic and built their first cat deck um, player, which is how they, they described it on, on the mothership today. Um, so what they're doing is they're creating these standard showdown uh, that has to be run during weekends, which is loaded up with good promos. It's, it's got the sweet Re Rebecca Gway uh, lands. It's got the uh, booster packs of standard that have a bunch of really nice stuff in them. Um, and they're requiring stories to run that on the weekend. And in lieu of the normal FNM promos, which are sometimes good, sometimes bad, they're moving to a foil double-sided token for FNM and trying to sort of reimagine FNM as the ca more casual player portal, right? So you go from this magic open house, which is basically a learn to play for free, come out and hang out at the store thing, um, to a pre-release to, and now they want FNM to be that next step. And then the standard showdown on the weekends to be the step after that where those sort of those those weekly grinders go to play. Um, now the problem with it is that they're essentially asking the people who have been going to FNM and are sort of in that niche uh, to change their habits and move to the weekend. And 
they, people are very upset that they can, they're not going to be able to get fatal pushes in the future um, or call the bloodline, I guess, or whatever promo, you know, the current promo is reverse engineer. Uh, so people are very upset that they're not going to be able to get their really, really good FNM promos, and instead they're going to get these tokens, and they're looking at this as Wizards is forcing us to play standard if we want anything good, and I'm going to quit Magic, or I'm not going to go to FNM um, because now the promo is going to suck. Um, so that's essentially the, you know, that's what Wizards are trying to do here, and that was sort of the response that they got. Um, so there's there's a lot to take. One of the biggest takeaways we got today from it was Wizards being very... Uh, transparent and at least telling us this is that their data says that FNM promos don't affect FNM attendance, no matter whether it's a good one or a bad one. Um, they cited EtherHub versus you know whatever was in January, and said that attendance wasn't any different. But um, obviously, standards been very bad recently, so it's hard to read as much into that. But they did go a step further and say this this is representative of a years long trend that FNM promos do not affect FNM attendance. So, you know, my take is that people have a very emotional response to it, where they're very upset that Wizards is taking something from us and they're forcing us to play standard. Um, because they kind of, or they, they are, if you want the best stuff, you have to go to the standard showdown, which is on a night or day. You're not used to playing Magic in your schedule. And I think there's problems with that, right? Um, but that's why people are upset, is they're having this emotional response to Wizards sort of dictating to them how they can play and making them change what they're doing. And, so, you know, there's something to both sides. I think people whining about the value being lost in, in FNM promos have never actually run the numbers on what an FNM promo costs on average and their odds of winning one on average, right? Because if you want to talk about the, the value, you know, the, the average EV added to your uh, your FNM trip on the, because of the average promo over the past three to five years is laughable, right? But they're... So the, the value argument to me is just irrelevant. It's really bad. Um, but the emotional argument of it and the, you know, if we really want to take the next step, you're forcing us to play on a day that we haven't traditionally played is, I do think, a very valid concern. So now, that, hopefully that's it in a nutshell. Yeah, so you're seeing a lot of anecdotal evidence from players saying, well, my LGS does this. Well, my LGS does this. Um I personally, I think it's more Wizards screwing up how standard has been for the last year than it's been about the FNM prizes. Um, I think this token effort by Wizards is something that players are just going to have to get used to. Uh, Travis, as someone who's normally negative on stuff like this, to be quite frank, what what are your feelings on like uh, what FNM attendance is going to look like? Do you think this is going to change anything? That's an unfair characterization. <laughs> also... <laughs> Uh, I contest Corbin claiming that that's the issue in a nutshell. That is a large nutshell. Uh, okay. um, what What else? What do you think? What did I miss? No, it's too big to be a nutshell. That was my point. <laughs> You're like, okay, this is a enough. nutshell. You talked for like seven minutes. Fair <laughs> enough. No, you know what? When the announcer came out, everyone flipped out. And, you know, I, I criticized them as well. I, I actually called making the announcement on Sunday uh, cowardly. Um, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, we missed that, right? They said that that was uh, to align with these schedules of, of APAC regions. Yeah, yeah something like that. In Japan, so he got it at the right time. Which, so where I'm going with this is the information the players got was an article on a late Sunday afternoon detailing what looked like a negative change for them. Uh, so the optics on that are about as bad as you can get. It says we don't. This is we know this is bad for you, and we're trying to make sure you don't notice it. 
Um, when you unpack it a little bit, it's not which we've done, which you know we've gone through today, and which you just outlined. It sounds a lot better. Um, you know, it's because they're trying to shift where they're pushing their players, the um, to to create a, a smoother on ramp, which we know they've been working on for years and years and years. Um, and the timing lines up better with some of their international markets who are planning events. So then it kind of makes sense in that light. Uh, so it's a it's much less, I think, of an egregious error. Um, than we all initially thought. I don't, I, I respect the reason for the change. I still don't love the idea that they're cutting off really cool, um, uncommon promos. Uh, and maybe they'll come back. Um, we don't know if they're gonna put them in another venue. It kind of reminds me of um, this change they made not that long ago. I don't remember which one it was, uh, but they're like, here's this change and everyone got really upset. And then two weeks later, they're like, also we're doing this that we didn't tell you about initially. And that makes it all much better. And you're like, okay, but how come you didn't tell us that in the first place? Because then we wouldn't have gotten angry about the first news. Um, so they've done it. The question of like, were these changes a good idea? Um, the answer is probably. Uh, the problem is how they did it yet again. It was once again, another instance of poor communications on Wizards part. They got everyone much angrier than they needed to be. So that's the, the real takeaway here. Um, as for the issue itself, I support what they're doing. I would love to see a chance to get some really cool uncommons out there again. I think foil tokens are nifty in a vacuum, but they're really not that great. Basic lands are kind of cool, but we have a massive amount of foil basics to choose from at this point. Like, I don't think we really need more if you're just going to do the same borders. Um, so, it, but it really comes back to the communication being where they drop the ball. And before we see where Ed has landed on this issue, on the flip side, we'd like to thank our sponsors, uh, GatheringMagicAndCoolStuffInc.com, who have provided us with gift certificates to give away with free shipping on orders of $100 or more, a 25% buy bonus, and their every popular customer rewards program. Cool Stuff Inc. is the store for all of your magic gathering needs. Ed, what do you think? Um, I think Cor Corbin definitely hit like some of the points better on the head in terms of like the people who are complaining the loudest and complaining the most are like they're not the focus of the announcement, right? Like they're not trying to appeal to people who play FNM consistently and they're looking at it from a value-oriented perspective. Like that's not even remotely close to the point of FNM. The fact that we've kind of fallen into the circle of, oh, we've gone like, why aren't we getting Path? Why aren't we getting Serum Missions? Why aren't we like, why aren't we getting Aetherheart? Why aren't we getting Fatal Push? Like people just consistently seem to think that they have to be able to prize and they have to be able to make their Friday evening worthwhile. And that's just so far removed away from what FNM should have been from the very start which was which was a way to get players after work on friday and just hang out play magic and have a good time on friday evening and the fact that you're they're trying very very hard to bridge the gap between like you know like a lot of the people who do work like right up until fnm they, they're given the opportunity to come out and hang out and play casually that's what they're trying to do and the fact that wizards is trying to focus more on getting those new players into what they would call the next step in the tournament scene, that's a good start. And I think like that's what people need to focus on because in the long run, that's what's going to help Magic. Um, like, And if if stores are really concerned and players are really concerned about the value prospect, like find a way to monetize the standard show that will make, like advertise it, make a big deal of it, get people who are actually concerned about EV to come down and play in those because those are the type of people that the current FNM environment should be more focusing on. And FNM, again, really needs to be like a big casual event instead of just like this grind fest because people feel the need to make like $10 for the evening or whatever like the promos are going to be worth. Um, so I'm, I'm a big fan of the change. Um, 
it did again it was a little bit bizarre that uh it came, it came out in the way it did i saw the announcement monday so it like looking back like oh it does it does make sense because i was um i was somewhere in tokyo like in in the morning when i saw it like i was just kind of going through my news and i started seeing it pop up on twitter um so that does kind of make a little bit more sense but that's again i think with the communication issue like they just need to be very upfront about it like hey this is going live in the apac region this is why people in the u.s are now starting to see it um and Which- i think that's a yeah, that's the biggest like issue with the whole thing. Uh, it's it's really the communication. It's like how it's communicated. So, yeah, and I, I like that they addressed it first thing this morning, right? It, it sort of blew up Sunday night in the United States, um, and then Monday morning they had an article out by by Blake Rasmussen, the editor of Daily MPG, that addressed it head on and addressed the timing, and it it, it gave data, right? That that is Wizards' internal data that F and M promos don't affect attendance, according you know that's what they tell us. Um, you know, and there's a lot of talk about the word, the word transparency going around right now, magic, and, and transparency on the part of Wizards. And, you know, they're, as usual, their their initial messaging is bad, but they, I mean, they addressed it head on Monday morning, you know, five years ago, they would have not ever talked about this. It would have just been a change that dropped um, and never, never gotten back up again. Now, I think the biggest issue with it is I would personally have liked to have seen if the idea is we need to split um, casual players and FNM grinders, if to quote Ryan Bouchard, or whatever you want to call them, right? Um, into two different camps. I think it would have been better to make the new player event be on Saturday because new players aren't used to giving up Friday nights um, for Magic, right? That's not normal for them. And keep FNM as maybe the more competitive, if that's how we want to look at it, version because those your franchise players have been going to Friday Night Magic for however many years. Um, and it just seems to me. You know, I get on the one hand, if the new players come on Friday nights and you're like, yeah, I really enjoy this, you can be like, well, come back tomorrow. We have a more competitive tournament or whatever. Um, so on one hand, that makes sense. But if you're just asking people to change their habits in a way that, I mean, in a way that I don't think is great. And obviously people can still go to FNM, but it's just it's just the emotional feeling of, of being forced into something you, you that's out of your schedule. Um, and Magic players are, are creatures of habit, that's for sure. So it's... Um, you know, I, I think maybe I think maybe there's a better implementation there than what they have, um, and that's 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 going to be the sticking point that I'd like to see addressed. Now that we've sort of got some of the communication issues out of the way. And Jim, so, with someone who has had the most professional competitive experience, how do you feel about these changes? That they're that they're changing the so-called like competitive stuff versus now you get tokens. I mean, for the most part, like, I don't think anyone that was going to play FNM because they wanted to, you know, get in practice or grind out games or whatever, they weren't going specifically for any specific card. Like, I played when Serum Visions and Path Exile were FNM promos, and I was, like, only mildly more interested than usual, and, like, not really even that much more. And... I don't think that changing them is really going to change anyone's opinion on that situation. Like, if people decide that they all of a sudden don't want to do FNMs because it's not the competitive, um, you know, event or whatever, that really just is going to cut a day of magic out of their life because they were already playing on the weekends anyway. Like, let's 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 be real. People that really want to play a lot of magic, want to play competitive magic, were already playing on the weekends, and. I think that Corbin is right. Like this, this uh, standard showdown or whatever on the weekends should have been this the setup that they have for the casual events because 
competitive like grinder people are already going to PPTQs every weekend, sometimes both days on the weekend. When are they going to have time to do this standard showdown stuff? They're not. And if they're not going to FNM anymore because they don't like whatever is being offered there or they're trying to get like a more casual crowd, then they're just going to end up playing Magic less instead of more, which I don't understand. Like they're already doing all this. At least I was like, you know, every weekend it was about where's the next PPTQ. Is it in my city? Is it in a nearby city? Is it worth driving to? You know, like who's going? I'm not going to play standard showdown instead. I'm just going to either do that or do nothing. Like it doesn't really make any sense to me. So there are a couple of quick thoughts I had on that as per Corbin mentioning them doing Friday versus Saturday. Um, I'm guessing that they were stuck trying to go between them. They And they probably had some market research maybe that pushed them that maybe doing the competitive one or whatever on Saturday isn't as bad, but they're also tied to FNM being like a branded part of magic. That's and true. like, they want that to be their flagship thing, but it's already, you know, it's basically, I think they probably got back to the corner a little bit on that one, but it's a fail, a fair point. Um, <clears throat> I did, we do know that a couple store owners said something about how this was really bad for them. And like it costs that they are going to lose money in this and that. And I got thinking about it after the fact that stores, should only when it comes to pro FNM promo store should only care about attendance, right? Because the promos hold no value unless you're a store that's selling the promos in which you want the valuable promos, which I have witnessed and which is really obnoxious. So if you hear a store complaining about the um, promos going away and how it costs them money, like are they selling the FNM promos? Cause they are not supposed to be doing that. Uh, I mean, this is good for our store. Yeah. Well, I, so I don't see how this is bad for stores. Sure. And my, my last thought was I got thinking about it a little bit more. I was an FNM grinder for like, five years i mean i mean for five years i missed like three fridays i mean i was there all the time the promo not a single time ever influenced my decision to go and i was competitive like after like six months i was always in the running for those promos and half the stores just gave them out randomly they didn't even give them to the winners um they just never factored into the equation if you wanted one you traded for one whatever uh so i just i don't remember that ever being a driving factor for me or anyone that i knew no matter if it was complete garbage or like path to exile it was just like it was there whatever so you know people claiming it's going to kill attendance i don't think i've ever actually like connect tried to think about the two connected and you know this actually brings up a good point that I think Corbin, Ed, and Jim, having been in the scene for a while and sort of understanding the ebbs and flow of magic can sort of explain because I'm probably the newest finance guy on the cast as far as like how long I've been in magic. Uh, there's been a lot of debate about this locally at my shop with my locals. Do you think players are too concerned with EV now? And do you think that that concern with EV is based on the amount of data out there that wasn't available like four years ago? Because you have all these players now that are like, well, I can play Hearthstone for free or League of Legends for free. Why go to FNM when the value is not there? So do you think that it's just mainly Magic compl Magic players complaining about the state of standard and EV and like there's players that won't even go to a $1 FNM entry fee, stuff like that. I'm just wondering what you guys think about how annoying players have become about their EV <laughs> griping. I think I mean, that we, we all are partly to blame, right? I don't believe that at all. We, no. We've all we've all preached EV for the past. I think I think the EV is an excuse for people to complain. I mean, I'll put it to you this way: like some stores have it way worse than others, and yeah, there's definitely probably you know some some concern for EV because you know why are you going to go to one store over another? Like a lot of the times, the staff is very similar or the buy prices are very similar. 
what ends up being the deciding factor? Is it like how close it is to where you live or is it how much prize support they give out at F&M? You know, that's just the thing that people consider and whether it's good or bad or it's the be all end all is another story. I think that the other issues is like magic is also just more expensive than it used to be because of how many people try to buy and sell cards. Like, uh, I don't know. I don't, whenever Mirrodin, original Mirrodin came out, uh, was it like 10 years ago at this point or something Much like that? Longer ago. 12, 17. I don't know. I don't remember when it came out 16 years ago. Okay. 16 years ago, the best deck in standard cost like, 150 200 and i was a high school student so i obviously didn't own it but like the best card in the in the deck was arcbound ravager and it was like 20 dollars, and it was the only 20 dollar card in the whole set and that was it and that and there's like everything else was bulk rares and people open packs because they cost less money and everything was great but you know it's not really the same game anymore because of how many people you know say oh this card is so good i'm gonna buy it and whatever like it makes the game more expensive. Like traveling is more expensive. Grand Prix are more expensive. You know, just like everything else is more expensive. So people are more worried about getting their money's worth, which I understand. And, you know, I don't blame people for doing it, but ultimately if the format is good, nobody cares how much it costs. And I think that that's part of the problem now is that the format's not good. When people were playing thousand dollar standard decks, there was no attendance problems really like when the concept arc here fetch lands were like the man, major part of everyone's mana base and they were all like 18 to 20 dollars each people didn't stop playing fnm they loved the format so they played it a bunch like they just complained that like it sucked to change decks and it was like that for a while and a lot of people you know complained about that but i don't know the internet just complains about everything like i think the biggest difference now is that you can go into this echo chamber that is the internet and like you can say a thing and people are like yeah man you're right even though you have no business being right and then that just whips up a whirlwind of hate i think the complaining is just like one of like the like native feedback things that we see a lot in this community right like whatever people like people generally aren't receptive to positive changes because it's like oh this is the way it should have been like obviously right but when you hear about negative change it's like this is the worst thing ever and the people who are complaining either are not the intended audience people have no like no business talking to begin with or like they're just they're just complaining because they just dislike change and those are people who are vocal about it whereas like the new players like we're not hearing from players where it's like oh like you know i picked up like you know the deck builders toolkit and a few booster packs i can make like a very relatively simple but not competitive deck this gives me a chance to come out and play or like i actually want to try like my frank sandy deck type whatever right like we don't hear those people complaining because they're actually going to be the ones who are coming out to fnm and trying to play for these tokens and whether they win them or not that doesn't matter to them right like those aren't the people we're hearing from like wizards has that data and they're I can only be optimistic and assume that they're using that data in the long run to improve the player experience as opposed to people who are complaining like, oh, I'm never going to show up to FNM again when they were the type of person that like they probably like only showed up to FNM, like played for the prize and left. And that was like the, the extent to which they support their store, right? Like those are people who are probably complaining and those are probably the people that Wizards honestly doesn't really care about. So... I, I think, like, the EV thing, like Corbin said earlier, like, it's this huge crutch. Like, it's something that people, like, it's very easy to pin on because that's because that's empirical, right? People can say, like, hey, at one point, these promos were worth this much. Now they're only worth this much. And we people, and we don't know, like, what the double side tokens are going are going to be like yet at all in terms of EV. So 
it's just one of those things we'll just have to kind of wait out and see. And like, we just have to assume that in the long run, this is what's best for Wizards and what's best for Magic. Yeah, I, and I don't like that people, you know, we can disagree with their changes, but I think that Wizards has earned sort of the cachet over the years that there's a lot of changes they make people complain about, and there's endless examples we could cite. Um, and they end up working out in the end. Say, like, in 10 rule changes, right? The first thing that comes to my mind, people thought I was killing Magic because they were dumbing the game down. Um, and you know what? It worked fine. Uh, it, it was good for the game in the long run, and people didn't, didn't realize it at the time. Um, but conversely, when they do make changes, because Wizards as a company has never been afraid to experiment. You know, look at what they're doing here. Look at what they they have done with um, some of like the the online, the Magic Online Championship stuff, and and the um, the World system. And now they're moving Pro Tours away from the beginning of the season. Like as a company, and in the rotation stuff, even in the block stuff, they they're not willing. They're not unwilling to take chances. But when they don't work, they change it back. Uh, look at the, the the rotation change, 18 months. And now I, I, I liked it at the time. Oh, this is great. Rotation's fun. We get rotate more often. But you know what? People really didn't like it. And the numbers, their data that we don't have access to as players or as people on Twitter or on Reddit, we don't have access to those numbers. They did, and they walked the change back immediately. Um, so I just don't understand why there's such a, a distrust of of their goals, right? They, they win as a company when players are happy. So why would they not do things that make players happy in the long run. And sometimes that means short-term pain, but they've shown that if it causes long-term damage, they will fix it. So, you know, it's it's, it's hard. Because on the one hand, like people, an individual customer, it's not their responsibility to care about wizard, what Wizards is doing in the long run. They just know what they like and what they don't like, and that's fine. But I think that it's really, really easy for those of us in the scene who, who are in the internet echo chambers um, to, to really only hear from those people who are upset. And like you said, we never hear from people who enjoy it. And this will be the same way. Um, and it's just, I wish Wizards was better at communicating stuff because so, so much could be avoided. But at least they are better at addressing stuff now. Because imagine if they had no response this morning and this was just, oh, that's just the thing Wizards did and it wasn't addressed for six months or whatever. Um, so I don't know. I just feel like we, we they've earned the benefit of the doubt over the past 25 years. Um, and if it, you, if you disagree with it, you absolutely should disagree with it, but you should do so in a way that assumes that they are acting with good intentions um, rather than they are out to get us. And I think that most people just look at it as wizards trying to get them um, because they're having that emotional response to losing a $2 promo that they well, may or may not have gotten. So I'm going to have a bit of a different take here. It's just I just the very tip of it. Um, <clears throat> I always assume that wizards is acting in their best interest, but not your best interest. Right, like they're working in the best interest of what grows their business. And if you are not the market segment where they are growing their business, you are going to get left out, left out in the cold, um, which can feel very personal to certain people. Um, we, I feel like, are among that group. We are a group of people that Wizards is no interest in appeasing, appealing, helping. If anything, they would like to get rid of us. So, you know, and I don't take it personally, but that's, I think that's what gets people so incensed is Wizards is always operating what's best for their bottom line. If you're lucky, you line up with that. No, I would argue that we're, we're the middlemen and that Wizards needs people like us to get cards to people because casual players are going to open a box and not get all of their cards and they're going to want other stuff. And that's what we're, the, that's what we're there for. That's what their card store is there for. That's what I'm saying. Three out of the five of us on this cast have that financial obligation to do that. 
And that even works for you too, Travis. Yeah, right? Okay, so when you say we, you have to qualify that. Because other than that, yeah, 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 yeah. it's a larger we. Jim. And you're absolutely right that they their number OP's number one goal is not and I was talking with, with some pros on Twitter about this earlier today is you know, look at people who go twelve three to GP and don't get anything for it. Their goal as organized play is to support the local gaming store because that's what creates magic sales to all those casuals. That's what keeps them in business. You're right. They at some point they, they sort of don't care for the FNM grinder or the GP grinder um, because it just doesn't impact the bottom line that much. And that's sort of reality. Uh, but I do think that, you know, as people who benefit from magic in a lot of ways, at some point you just sort of have to accept that what is good for the game is ultimately good for us. Jim, do you want to get into, uh, this is probably a good point to stop. Um, do you want to get into who won the cool stuff gift card this week on our cast and how they can win next week? We can all sort of answer this question. Awesome. Uh, of course. So uh, next week you can find our post on gatheringmagic.com. It'll be up on Tuesday, July 18th, uh, theoretically. And our winner from last week, his name is Steven Kessner. And he says, with many people... With many people over, what is that's some typos, man. Basically, he's asking, you know, people have been um, buying more EDH cards earlier because there's obviously been a lot of growth in that format and with the cards that are popular in that format. Uh, what do you think about cards like that going forward? Is, you know, Anointed Procession a... Is, is it like a fallout of people specking on EDH cards early and often? Thanks, Jason. Like, writing about EDH free money every week just has a lot of people interested in EDH cards. Uh, so he's asking if stuff like an order procession, if it gets down to bulk status, is it good to focus on flipping that stuff at near bulk and watching it climb slowly? And the answer is not what he's asking. I just quoted him. Uh, he's asking if we can even buy cards like Dictate of Erebus anymore. Like, like, can you, is there room in the market for people to do that with EDH cards these days? That's what how I'm reading this. Like, okay. the way it used I'm to be able to. Well, maybe if there weren't so many typos, Stephen, we could read your question easier. You should work on that. You should go to college and get a degree instead of grinding cards. Like, 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 like so you look guys at, are mean to your listeners. <laughs> yeah, Jeremy really likes to light in the people. Um, yeah. Uh, so I'm and I'm I'm saying this because if you look at the example he gives at the and uh, anointed procession, which started out at like three or four dollars, right? Like we never saw that hit bulk status. Whereas three years ago, you know, if that was ten cents, it would have been like buy every copy. Um, and he's like, well, is that going to happen? I'll start off here. I think the opportunities are still available, but I also think they're going to be less pronounced. Um, I guess is the way I would I would put it. Anointed Procession is a unique example because that card is so popular and not just in EDH, but everywhere else. And it's got a little bit of fringe standard play because Sam Black was talking about it. Um, so that one really jumped out of its shell. There's still stuff like Dictator Erebos that I think you'll be able to get in on, but you might not see the lows quite as low as you did. And more importantly, you might not see huge volumes at really cheap prices. So you might not be able to buy 112 copies at 14 cents anymore. You might have to cherry pick a little bit more. Um, it, it, to be quite honest, I don't remember the last time I bought a huge spec of like cheap cards waiting for them to go up for EDH over time too. Um, but that's mostly because supply has scared me away more than anything else. 
Yeah, that's definitely something to take into consideration. I remember talking last year about targeting uh, Startled Awake and Diagraph Colossus as like long-term EDH specs for like mill and casual zombies, and those paid off. But yeah, there is a ton of supply out there now that you'll see a lot of when you look at how many copies are available online. I think Ed's probably the best person to answer this question because he moves the most cards out of all of us. Um. I think, like with the more recent sets, I think uh, the trend has kind of suggested that we move away from, like, like what is the hidden sleeper in a set? Like, yeah, it's obvious, like, you know, like, who would have seen, like, you know, Rishkar would have been, like, the week one breakout, like, competitive play card. No one would have seen that, right? People were, like, more looking towards, like, what in, like, what in these sets is good long-term for... Um, for casual play, right? Like anointed procession is kind of the example that people immediately jumped on. People were able to identify that, you know, like the closest analogy to this card is uh, that green card from Israel. Par- the name parallel lives, parallel lives. That one. It's like it's a color shifted version, and it's no secret that parallel lives is like a six dollar card that's like slowly been creeping up over time, just because it's just so hard to find now. And white is like basically a more affordable version of it and the de- like there are plenty of decks that want to play both parallel lives and anoint procession um similar in this set like you know like fring sandy a week ago wasn't on anyone's radar at all and like yes there was some talk about like a mill deck being viable and like that has kind of pushed it up but i can only imagine like there's like a lot more people who are trying to make mill work as a whole and fring sandy works very well traumatized as like a two-card kill um so, like, I think long-term, like, I think people have kind of caught on, like, EDH rares generally do start low if they're not super obvious, and people kind of, like, if you really want to make, like, good money, like, specking on sets, you have to be, like, what's the EDH card that's going to be in very high demand that people are just kind of, kind of jump on that I can get on the cheap right now? And I think, like, Magic is, like, the new sets kind of suggest we're going that way. And if you look at the cards in Hour of Devastation that have trended up, like, there's no indication that the Scarab God is actually going to be good in competitive play at all. I don't think I saw any play this weekend. But, like, that's one of the mythics. Like, I think it's getting very close to Nickel Bolas as being the most expensive card in the set. Um, so I think going forward, like, that's, like, those are types of things that we want to, like, try and identify if you're looking to, like, get early on pre-orders. I do think that also I, we have to wait till it gets closer to rotation because... Cards like Anointed Procession sometimes have like really awkward standard appeal to some people. Um, and if they do, just like with Startled Awake, you could have this weird situation where like the card should be more bulky than it is, but it will never get there or it won't get there very quickly because once it's once it's ever like once anyone ever has the thought that it's playable on standard, it just stops leaving binders. Like people that that previous to now decided that uh let's say uh startled awake was just a card that they were never going to play it was never going to be good good at standard they would just immediately sell them to the stores and they have plenty of copies to sell to you online if we get to this point where a card breaks out all of a sudden it is not unplayable in some people's eyes or more people's eyes they won't be as as willing to sell it to a store you know i might need this later is like the most common line i've ever heard for a magic player about why they're not selling cards. Like, oh, I might need this later. And like, it's probably not the case. Like, Startle Awake is going to rotate in, you know, two months at this point. So there's just not a lot of reason to keep it. So at this point, I would go look at like, 
stuff in Battle for Zendikar, like right now, Conduit and, of Rune. Trying to figure out what kind of cards you would want to get out of there. Conduit of Rune. That card is that card's bios keeps going up the closer we get to rotation. Yeah, I mean that card's pretty good. Desolation Twins, pretty interesting and probably reasonable. Like if Ulamog keeps dropping, like there has to be a floor on that card because all of the Eldrazi Titans are just really expensive. Like all the old ones. Um, you know, there's at least there has to be some point where like the planeswalkers have to be good. Like Obnixilis is just too good to never be to, to never go up unless it gets reprinted again. Like Dragon Master Outcast used to be worth a bunch of money before it got reprinted. There's just a lot of cards like in that set that people right now are just like, eh, whatever. But like once people start selling them to because they're rotating finally, uh, then you have more opportunities. Like part of the water veil is another one that'll probably be pretty good to pick up around rotation. Um, I don't know. Sanctum Ugin's like a card that could be in a combo deck at some point in time. Like there's just there's just a lot of things in in the sets that are about to rotate that those are the kind of things that you should start targeting. But wait until they get close enough that they're not going to break out in standard. Like yeah, three months out is probably fine. And and if you had bought Startled Awakes, you're probably obviously happy at this point. Like if you bought them before they spiked, but you just have to wait more. Like you just have to wait until people don't care anymore. Like too many people care for too long. I think is the problem. Like people realize that cards spike really hard, so keeping your low value cards in case they get expensive is a thing that just people do more often. They're just like, what if this goes up? Like even if you just look on the on, on like the internet, like on the Magic Finance subreddit or whatever, like people are like, oh, I open these cards in booster packs. Could they go up? Should I keep them? Should I sell them? And I'm always telling people to sell their cards because there's like almost no chance that they actually go up, especially if it's from a new booster pack. But you know, I think a lot more people hang on to things that they wouldn't otherwise. Um, and rotation is pretty much your only chance to get in that low. People care too much is a really funny thing to hear said about our generation. Well, people care too much about stuff that they shouldn't care about. Like, they care about the wrong things, I think, is the problem. And I don't know if it's necessarily our generation, because it depends on how old we, we all are. Now you sound like Jeremy. <laughs> Uh, it's possible. Yeah, and in, in before politics. Um, so thank you for that question, Stephen. As Jim said, you can leave a comment on uh, tomorrow's upload of Gathering Magic to try and win a $25 gift card next week. Just uh, message us on Facebook or Twitter to claim your prize. Uh, now, we also had Star City results this weekend from Cincinnati, I believe. Uh, there were some interesting brews that made the top 64 decks that they put out. Uh, one of them was a, a uh, blue-black zombies deck with the Scarab God in it. That looked pretty cool. It was not playing prized amalgam. Uh, there was a mill deck that did pretty well, too. I'm also currently playing the blue-red version uh, of mill at FNM, which has been a ton of fun. Um and then we also had a card that a lot of pros were interested in that uh, some of them bought at 50 cents. Jim, if you want to tell me the name of that card and the viewers the name of that card. I can't spoil my pick of the week yet. We're not in pick oh, of the week. Oh, is that your pick of the week too? Yeah, it's, yeah I think it's supposed to All right, well then we, we, won't, we won't tease our viewers uh, too it's much on that. It's because someone's going to complain that you started talking about it and then didn't say the card name. Yeah, so there were a couple copies of Champion of Wits in the top eight, and a lot of pros have gone pretty deep on that card and talked about it as far as just getting in there for financial value because they think the card's undervalued. Uh, but as usual, the first week basically shows that the format's wide open before the Pro Tour because people are saving their decks uh, in order to try and win the big bucks. 
So it's nice to see a nice uh, format come out, unlike uh, mono black versus mono blue for like infinity until rotation. Uh, it's nice to just sort of have that new flavor of the week as uh, people start putting out results. Um, is there anything else that you guys saw at the Star City event that you want to talk about? I know there was one Eldrazi card that Ed had his eye on last night, I want to say, uh, that like blew someone out on camera. Is that something that you're interested in, Ed, or was it just a cool play to see? I think it was like a cool play to see. I don't think like there's too much to be taken from it. Like the card in question, I assume you're talking about Eldrazi Obligator. Um, it's cool. Like we, it's definitely seen play before. Like one, it was one of the cards that was like one of the mirror breakers in uh, Pro Tour Otho Gate Watch. Um, unfortunately, I don't think it has like the same like uh, it's like the same number of legs in modern. Mainly just because like you know we've seen like how powerful like Eldrazi Tron is. Like uh, like going all the way back to vintage. Like the focus is playing like you know soul lands like ancient tomb city of traders like those like that are available in uh, legacy and vintage. Um, trying to power off of like Eldrazi Temple and Modern, like those and, and the Tron Lands and Modern as well. Those seem to be a bigger part of what drives. I just don't really think Eldrazi Obligator kind of has a home past like uh, past standard and like past like the particular deck that it was kind of showcased in. But um, I'm actually not really sure that direction of standard is actually going to kind of be headed towards aggro decks. We haven't really seen like, like a truly aggro deck in such a long time, mainly because there's a lot of focus on like creature combat creature interactions um so i do suspect like a lot more like mid-range type decks which is like i which i kind of suspect is like one of the biggest reasons why like a control deck uh was pretty successful uh at the star city event and we got one more question to get to from our viewers before we move into pick of the week um devin o'chinigan asks for those who do not have a store or a bunch of twitter followers real or fake looking at jim and travis here what is the best way to offload singles Aside from waiting for a local gp is buy listing cards the best route if so what sites do you guys recommend i know you guys talked a little bit about this on the podcast but i was hoping you guys could expand on it you could also sell on facebook groups that's also an option is it, so the question is just where do we sell cards yeah, if he can't make it to a Grand Prix, because we talked about this last week and we got a lot of feedback. Like, we had probably 10 questions on the Gathering Magic page alone about, like, how to sell cards because everyone was interested in making money. Well, if you're someone like me who just has, like, armchair spec type stuff and some leftover standard staples, like, basically not enough to dump to huge buy lists. I just sell on TCG Player almost exclusively, a little bit of eBay occasionally, but that's about it. Um, and then GPs for like my bulk comms and uncommons, but <clears throat> I've done that like once or twice a year, probably less than that. So I think like kind of the more in-depth answer to this question that like people are kind of looking for is <clears throat> how much time and effort are you willing to put in? Like, do you want a lot of money or do you want like a lot more time, right? Like if you're willing to invest a lot of time, right, you can go through and try and optimize like, you know, go to QS, like, find, like, optimal buy lists, figure out what you're sending to buy lists, what you're putting on TG player, what you want to put on Facebook, like, all these different avenues. Like, that will give you the most money, but you're you're really, really working for it, right? That's, like, a lot of time in front of a computer, a lot of time looking at spreadsheets, a lot of time doing research. If you're willing to commit to that, right, like, in the long run, like, you'll come out way ahead, right? If you are just looking to move as quickly as possible, right, the answer is just, like, you know, wait until Grand Prix come close to you and sell everything to a buy list. Like, just go up to one vendor, say, like, hey, take all my cards. Tell me what it is, 
right? So it depends on what you're willing to do. Um, like personally, for like the for my cards that I own that I look out, like I I have a balance, right? Like my time is worth something. I'm not willing to like ship every single card to a buy list over like you know like over a dollar or two. Um, I have enough outs like Grand Prix. I will ogre some stuff out. I just take stuff to my the vendors that I deal with quite a lot. They'll take stuff my ogre boxes. And then I'll hire in stuff that I don't want to lose a huge premium to a buy list on. I'll just put up on Facebook. Uh, there's plenty of groups between like sick deals, high end, um, whatever. And like usually the social media is kind of my out for some of the more narrow cards, like full Japanese cards, those types of things. You not just sell your stuff, sell to yourself at the store when you want to get rid of that stuff. I definitely don't do that. That you'll admit. Corbin, I know you have like a lot of random knickknacks and stuff sitting around in binders. Is that something that you're just going to sit on for a while because you're in no rush to move it? Or is that something that like you, um, you post on Facebook to get rid of? Do you mean nice stuff or just like random stuff? Like, I, re I recall seeing like binders of promos and stuff like that that were not like the merfolk stuff as far uh, as just... Like, yeah, yeah. Well, I have like... Stuff. I mean, yeah. Essentially, I have the problem where if something comes through the store and I like it... I just take it for myself and I put it in my binder and I became a full on collector of like expeditions and stuff. Um, now what I do is stuff I can't sell in the store. Social media is a great outlet. And I know they ask if you don't have a lot of Twitter followers or whatever, but I, I would second that Facebook groups are the best way to go. Cause there's a lot of Facebook groups you can use. Um, and like, you know, when I have like, I, I've had several rounds of, of small alpha beta cards come through the store and that's the sort of stuff that I'm never going to sell in the store. No one's ever going to buy that. Um, and those I'll move online. Um, I also, you know, we're just talking about random stuff. I buy lists a lot of stuff that is um, not going to move. Like if it's old foils that are maybe worth like 75 cents uh, or a bunch of, you know, just, just sort of picks that are, you know, 50 cent type cards that you can buy lists for a quarter. Um, and, and like I said, it's all about your time versus money. But I'm never going to sell those in my store. And honestly, it's not even worth the time to, to sticker them at a store. Uh, and sit, have it there and have it take up space. So I just make group piles of them at home and then I end up by listing them out, um, usually to Car Kingdom or uh, to Tom Stodd's buy list, um, et cetera. And I think that sort of as stuff comes through, that's the easiest way to deal with it a lot of times. It's just buy lists. If you have nice individual stuff, Facebook group it. I think that, you know, trying to grind up TCG player on stuff can be really difficult because of such a race to the bottom if it's just sort of average cards and then in some ways your time to money ratio is better spent just by listening to a good buy list with stuff like that good point yeah that's definitely something to keep in consideration is what's your time worth and for a lot of high school and college kids listening to this podcast uh you you have time basically but for it, it people changes, that have jobs right? <laughs> yeah yeah, before I had a kid, I used to sit and grind everything down to a nickel, and it was great. And now I just can't even get through bulk because I just don't have time because I have a child, right? And so now, you know, my line when I'm picking becomes much different. And uh, that's your your time's not worth anything when you're just sitting watching Netflix. And like you said, you're in college or whatever. Your time's worth a lot when you're working or have a family or friends or whatever and that sort of stuff. It's all about finding whatever balance works for you. And fortunately, there are enough different ways to sell cards, so all the things we've mentioned, that you can kind of find the niche that works for you and, and that gives you the balance you want. Good point. All right, let's move into pick of the week. Ed, would you like to start? Uh, yeah. Um... I like I think the past like three weeks like this is actually the first week where we didn't talk about masterpieces. Uh, my picks this week are there's actually two of them mainly because they fall in almost the exact same vein. 
Um, I'm going to go with Sword of Feast and Famine Masterpiece and Sword of Fire and Ice Masterpiece. No, um, you stole. <laughs> I was just talking about this like two hours ago, Ed. Wrecked. Oh my god. <laughs> Alright, well, uh, this will uh, teach me to post on Facebook. Uh, I actually didn't see it, but like they've all in a very similar vein. They're both considered to be like the more like competitive ones. Like obviously Feast and Famine does see like a little play. Like it's seen play like fairies in the past. Uh Fire and Ice is the choice for um uh legacy for like uh Stoneforge Mystic based decks. Um so they're like definitely two of the better ones. They're pretty expensive and supply is actually pretty low on them. Uh, the other swords like Body Mind, uh, Light and Shadow, War and Peace. There's plenty of copies out there, but uh, Fire and Ice and Feast and Famine. Uh, there's not very many available copies. They're sold on Star City. Um, TG Player has them basically at single digits. Uh, most of them, like those two, like almost always find their way into cubes. Whereas the other ones, like it's kind of a hit or miss if people include them or not. Uh, so. Like, if you do want one, I would say pick it up now. Like, we've kind of seen the trend for Masterpieces in the past. Uh, like, as soon as they start getting low, like, it really doesn't take very much for someone to buy buy up all the remaining copies, and then we see the price get reset at a much higher price point, anywhere from, like, 20 to, like, 40% higher than what the previous two were. So, like, if you do want them, just get it. Just get it now. Like, I think the biggest thing is, like, on Masterpieces, a lot of people have been like, oh, I've been waiting to get them, see if the price goes down. It, they won't. Like, at, like based on the announcement that there's no more Masterpieces going forward in Ixalan, um, any Masterpiece you want, like, just buy it now. Like, just get out of the way and just, like, just, especially if you don't plan on getting rid of it anytime soon, I would just buy it. Like, put buy it for your legacy deck and just get out of the way. Jim? Well, Jeremy accidentally already spoiled my pick of the week, but it's going to be Champion of Wits. Um, this card started off at like a dollar. It was like a dollar fifty on Friday. It's now not very many copies under two dollars on TCG Player, and I don't think that this is the kind of card that's just like going to fall off the face of the earth. Like after this weekend, it's very flexible and it helps you smooth out your draw, which I think I don't think a lot of people really understand how good that is like the the etb draw to discard to it seems like oh that's not like a great deal like i wouldn't play faithless looting in all of my decks or whatever but you get a 2-1 instead of a instant in your graveyard so i don't know it just does a lot of things it attacks it blocks it's going to be really good if there's got a lot of control mirrors it's going to be really good if emerge is going to be good for the next three months or whatever like this is the kind of card that'll be a format staple for a long time um, the fact that you can like basically flash it back for a divination and a four four is also just a good reason why you should get them. It's it's like tireless tracker in a way, except it doesn't look it doesn't generate cards the same way. Like it helps you smooth your draw out early and gets you some cards later, rewarding you for playing more lands. And there's another thing that I've learned from tireless tracker is that card any card that like lets you play more lands in your deck so you don't get mana screwed early and also makes it so you don't get super flooded late. It's just it's just too good. It's too good to be a dollar or two dollars. Like this is going to be probably a five dollar card if blue is at all playable in the next year and a half. Travis. Um, okay, so I'm gonna go. I think this week with um, I do like that by the way. Uh, the champion of wits, but I'm gonna go with our promise. Um, 
I'm not quite ready to buy in. Copies are around a dollar. I'd like to see it slip closer to 50 cents, but I think this is a really strong ramp spell. There's no way this could cost four. Keep in mind that it says any land, not basic land. That's a huge difference. It can be difficult for people that it's kind of difficult for people to, to figure out. Um, Primeval Titan defined a standard format, but if he had said basic land, he would have not been played at all. Um, he would have been the worst of the Titans. It's a big deal. Um, and the fact that you can get two two twos out of it, like chump blockers uh, to hold you over to the next turn is really good. It fits well in decks that play Hour of Devastation as well, um, which we know is already a really good card, um, or that people have really talked up. So I like it as a, as a ramp spell that's going to quietly be a backbone in uh, possibly a lot of mid-range strat strategies and standard. Um, you know, you can play essentially play mono green nickel bowls with this if you want to. Uh, and it also gets you closer to big bombs. We know bombs have been really good in standard over and over um, uh, in standard for a while now. <clears throat> um, those, you know, those large creatures, those big payoffs, we keep coming back to them. And it's also, of course, excellent in EDH, right? Like, who doesn't want to cast this card in EDH? Just any two lands out of your deck is awesome. Like, if you're playing green-black, you can just go get Cabal Coffers and Urborg, uh, and or, you know, Thespian Sage, Dark Depths, or any other combo of two lands. So I think there's a lot of demand, potential demand out there for this card, and people just don't realize it yet. Corbin? Yeah, uh, so earlier you guys, we were talking about, you know, looking at stuff that's rotating in Battle for Zendikar. And a lot of cards were named, but not the one that is my pick for, for basically probably the best um, current price to upside ratio, which is from beyond. Awakening Zone has been printed four times, and it's a $3 to $4 card. From beyond costs a mana more, um, but it gives you one ones and has the ability to sacrifice itself later on to tutor. And it's 50 cents. So, you know, you may get blown out by a reprint in a commander deck. That's just a possibility. Um, it's maybe a little less likely because it's devoid. Um, but it's it's bottomed out at 50 cents. And whenever we get Eldrazi back in five years or whatever, it does exactly what Awakening Zone did, which is spike up to 3 or $4. So I have a big stack of these just because, I mean, it's bulk. You know, you find it in, in literal bulk piles that people just throw away and don't want. If somebody... You're going to see a bunch of them when rotation happens, just sitting, sitting in, in, in junk piles. Um, and it just seems like a, a pretty safe, you know, long-term spec if that's, you know, if that's the, where you want to be. But it's just so easy to get into it. Um, and, and, you know, the upside may never happen, but it's very easy to give yourself the possibility of uh, obtaining the upside, especially if you're one of those, you know, more low-key people not turning over cards um, very often, et cetera. Well, I was going to pick some swords, but uh, I just got Caesared over here, so that's not going to happen. Um, I think my pick of the week is going to be Kaya Ghost Assassin. This is a card that's been falling in price uh, a little bit lately. You can pick these up for $7. Um, this just seems like a good long-term play. Like, I think this card will go back up a little bit. We can't keep Doretti in stock at like $4 above this, and Kaya we also can't keep in stock at like 10 uh, there's a lot of just casual demand uh, for many reasons. The artwork, the uh, alternate artwork as well, though I'm not suggesting to target foils. And uh, people really like their or Orzhov Planeswalkers. Uh, Sora and Lord of Innistrad has also been trending up like crazy. Uh, so that's something I would look at. Like, I think casual is still where the money is. I called Grave Titan a couple weeks ago. That's now $12. Um, stuff like that. Um, Stifle has remained relatively flat along with Council's Judgment. Like, those don't hurt to trade into either because uh, those are pretty unique effects. Um, 
But yeah, I really like Kaya as just a uh, casual planeswalker that you can target in cash or trade for the right price. Um, I don't know. That that would be my pick. Um, yeah. Sorry, I had this nice long explanation about why swords were a good thing. And uh, yeah, that's gone. Um, so where can people find all of you guys? My name is Jim Kasai. You can find me on Twitter at PHROST underscore. And you can find me on Quiet Speculation. I will be writing every Thursday and Gathering Magic every other Monday. Uh, Edwin13 on Twitter um, with Kerwins. I'm on vacation in Tokyo this weekend. Hope to see some guys in, uh, in Kyoto. And then uh, I will be in Minneapolis, Birmingham, Denver, and uh, Indianapolis for all of August. Oh, I'll be in Minneapolis too. So if anyone wants uh, cartel shirts besides the people on this cast, because I forgot to give them to them, uh, say hi to Ed or I, and I'll bring some to the GP. You are the scummiest <laughs> of bags, let me tell you. Hey, Ed has yeah. his shirt. That's what matters, clearly. Uh, uh, yeah. I'm Travis Allen. I'm on Twitter at wizardbumpin, B-U-M-P-I-N. I write every Monday for MTG Price. I also do the MTG Fast Finance podcast. And if you like playing magic, check out scry.land. Find magic in your area. Yeah, I'm Corbin Hostler. It's chostler88, C-H-O-S-L-E-R-88 on Twitter. Um, you can find me with modern videos every Monday on TCG Player and YouTube called Mining Modern. Um, I'm doing, I do a lot of event coverage for Wizards of the Coast. I will be at Toronto next week. Um, I don't know, Minneapolis, Denver, lots of GPs coming up after that. Uh, so I'm, I'm in a lot of shows. Um, but yeah, thank you guys for having me on the cast. I really appreciate it. I'm Zemet. You can find me in the great state of Missouri, even though Corbin didn't stop by after going to Silver Dollar City. What another dagger. Um, <laughs> and then, Family trip, man. I had to get home. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you stop at uh, Metagames on the way back? No, I was oh, I was in the car with a uh, very unhappy 14-month-old baby. That is probably the best shop in Missouri by far. Uh, they have a lot of original artwork and like really good stuff that I think uh, you the DZ guys would appreciate. We also had some of your regulars come in, which was a little interesting. They didn't know about Oculus Rift. Uh, like They were in town for the university. Anyway, that stuff aside for everyone still listening to the cast, you can find me on Twitter at Zemet Sells Magic. Uh, you can find me in the great city of Missouri. I'll be at like four GPs in a row with Ed. Uh, starting with Minneapolis, I want to say. Um, and thanks for listening to the cast. You can leave feedback on our Gathering Magic page for a chance to win a $25 Cool Stuffing gift card. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at cartel underscore finance. You can find us on Facebook at cartel aristocrats. Uh, thanks for tuning in, guys, and we'll see you all next week with some more tips on how to make money. Have a good one. Bye. <laughs>